Yes, it's the place to be for all things franchising. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Today's topic is a very simple one, uh, very topical in Australia. Currently, take the fear out of franchising. Um, and uh, we're committed, as you know, at Franchise Simile to making sure that you're informed about all the relevant topics in franchising, including the misunderstandings that we think should be drawn to, to the public attention. It's great to be with you again, and um, I'm pretty excited because I've got a celebrity guest that I've been looking forward to interviewing for a long time. Um, someone I was introduced to um, by uh, Michael E. Gerber of the fame of the E-Myth and so forth. Um, now, quick to remind you, have a pen and paper ready, because I guarantee there will be plenty of notes you'll want to take. And for our Franchise Simply members, this radio show will be available with our other 80-odd in our members' vault. So today, um, Dr. John P. Hayes, he's the Titus Chair for Franchise Leadership at Palm Beach Atlanta University in West Palm Beach in Florida. In the early 80s, um, Dr. Hayes co-authored Franchising the Inside Story. It was the first book written about how to become a franchisee. Since then, he's written prolifically about the topic, had numerous bestsellers on Amazon, and he's one of the few people in franchising who's been a franchisor, a franchisee, and advisor to franchise companies internationally. He blogs at howtobuyafranchise.com. I repeat that, howtobuyafranchise.com, where you can find a lot of valuable resources if you're interested in buying a franchise or as a franchise or a prospective franchise or learning more about the topic, which indeed is essential learning and understanding for you. Um, Dr. Hayes is a professor of business who specializes in franchising, as I mentioned, at West Palm Beach Atlantic University. Take the Fair Out of Franchising is the title of a best-selling book that uh, provides down-to-earth information about how people can investigate franchise opportunities for the purpose of protecting themselves and their money. And the book includes a chapter that discusses the specific steps necessary to complete due diligence prior to buying a franchise. John, hello there and welcome to the Franchise Radio Show. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on your show. I appreciate it. Uh, not at all. So, um, uh, is there anything I've left out of your bio there? Are you happy I've covered, covered everything equitably? No, sounded like um, a good guy to meet. Happy to be that guy. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So um, straight into it, I've got a number of questions here. Um, the first one, how does your book, Take the Fear Out of Franchising, do what it says? Well, I think, you know, the whole purpose there is to help people understand more clearly what franchising is, why it works, and how it works, and to also give some insights about when it won't work or doesn't work. And uh, part of the reason, and it's a shame for people, you know, who say to me, gee, I wish I had bought a franchise 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but, you know, my uncle told me it was this or somebody, a neighbor said that, and it creates fear for people, false evidence appearing real, the uh, acronym, fear being an acronym. And uh, it's a shame that people don't know more about the simplicity of franchising and how it can be used to build a business, build a career, and build, build financial independence. And not to do it because you're fearful of it, well, I just say it's shameful that that's the situation. Then how did that happen? Why did that happen? So I wrote, take the fear out of franchising, because there's no reason to be afraid of franchising. Either it's for you or it's not for you. 
And you can find that out right away. I always say to people, you've got to do a disc personality profile or something like that that will help you um, figure out, is franchising a good idea for me? And if it is, in which direction should I go? And that's the lot. Most people, 99% of people do not do that, by the way. And so a lot of them buy franchises and they get themselves into nightmares, financial nightmares or just bad situations for whatever reason. And of course, they want to blame it on franchising. Franchising didn't do anything. It's just a system for distribution of products and services. Either you can use it or you can't use it. And if you can, then you've got to figure out, well, is it a food franchise that's best for me? Is it a work at home franchise or work out of my van or my car or work off my computer or do I need to build an office? Should I be in the food industry? Uh, you know, once, once you get over that, that initial fear and you do that by knowing, okay, it's, I'm compatible with it. Or if you're not compatible with it, then stay away from it. You should fear it in that case. So I, I think that this is what the book does. It, it explains in very easy to understand terms how franchising works, why it works. And if it's going to work for you, then I give you a whole chapter with the help of two franchise attorneys that tell you step by step, here's what you need to do in order to complete the proper due diligence on a franchise opportunity. And, you know, again, 99% of the people don't do that. So, you know, when it doesn't turn out well, whose fault is it? It's certainly not the fault of franchising. We should not fear it. We should just understand what it is and then how to use it as a tool. Right. You make the point there about the disc profile. So um, that, that's, that's a very, very valid one and certainly uh, one that I think everyone should, should take. I agree with that advice. And, uh, um, and uh, the reason I'm talking to you today, John, is that I was recommended to your book by Michael Gerber um, last year. And I might add to the listeners that uh, when people join our programs at Franchise Simply, they can actually get several books from uh, from John Hayes, and one of them is how to take the fear out of franchising, because I think it's essential learning for any prospective franchisor or franchisor to thoroughly understand uh, both sides of the uh, of the equation when it comes to franchising. So, John, you, you've got an amazing background. I think it's something you should share with us. How, how did you get into the franchising world, actually? Yeah, well, it's a it's a strange story because I got in by accident. I, I never had any intention of uh, spending a career in franchising. Uh, it, but in you know, the early, uh, let's see, it was in 1970, 79, I was teaching at Temple University. And I was making all of about, I think at that time, maybe $15,000 for a nine-month teaching position, which was, you know, you couldn't even couldn't support a family on that. So I had to freelance in order to make enough money. And I was, I'm a writer by background. So I wanted to teach a seminar called uh, how to write a book to promote a business. And the university was going to pay me, I think it was $75 or $65 to spend a Saturday morning teaching that uh, seminar. And I thought, you know, that, that'll be great. Uh, University called in a week before the seminar and said, well, we've got good news and bad news. And I said, well, I always like the bad news first. And they said, well, nobody signed up for your seminar. So I said, well, then how's there any good news? And they said, well, um, 
three people couldn't attend, but they want you to contact them because uh, they're very interested in what you're going to teach about. And um, I said, well, all right. And I, you know, I was disappointed. And I don't know, I eventually I did call all three of them. One of them said he was a franchisor. I had no clue what that word meant. And I knew the word franchise, but only because it would have been for McDonald's at the time. You know, this was 79. Um, a lot of franchising going on, but I, I knew nothing about it. So he explained to me what he was. And, you know, he said, I need you to write a book because I want to sell more franchises. If I had a book explaining my business, it would be easier to sell these franchises. At the time, I think he sold a franchise for $8,000 or $10,000. So, you know, I was a little reluctant. And when I found out what his business was, it was in cooperative direct mail advertising, which is coupons in an envelope that gets mailed to 25,000 people in a neighborhood. And the franchisee was responsible for selling the coupons to local businesses, but the franchisor did all the back-end work. So they printed the coupons, they put the coupons in envelopes, they labeled the envelopes, they mailed the envelopes, and the franchisee just had to sell, sell, sell. So I said, you know, I, I don't see anybody wanting to read about cooperative direct mail advertising. Uh, so I, I just don't see a book here. And then later it hit me that I missed the point entirely. The book wasn't about cooperative direct mail advertising. The book was about franchising. And I, I had to go to the library as there were no computers and no Google at the time. And I had to look up in the card index um, franchising under F to see, well, who's written books about franchising? Figuring there are already 10 books about this topic. So, you know, there's probably not much opportunity for me to do something. There was no book on how to become a franchisee. And so uh, I then called this uh, person and I said, hey, there is an opportunity uh, to write a book to help people not understand cooperative direct mail advertising, but to understand franchising and how it works and how it presents an opportunity. And I can interview your franchisees and I can include your advice in the book. And uh, we can, at the back of the book, we can say for more information about Trimark, the company, uh, or buying a franchise, call this number. And, uh, and that's exactly what I did. So I thought, well, okay, I wrote franchising, the inside story. It was uh, eventually picked up by a New York publisher. And uh, I thought, eh, okay, it's just one book that I'm going to write out of many, many books. Because the other two people who called me for that seminar and could not attend, one was a divorce attorney. And I wrote his book. I ghost wrote, it, ghost wrote a book for him. And then the other was a uh, an expert in gaining productivity in manufacturing. And I wrote um, uh, his book on how to win productivity in manufacturing, which was published by Amacom, not Amazon, but Amacom, the American Management Association Communications Division was called Amacom. It was their publishing division. So out of that offering the seminar that I never taught, I turned those three people into, uh, well, I was charging about $10,000 per book. So I turned that into $30,000 in fees, plus much more because all three of them hired me to continue writing for their companies and to um, promote the book. And I promoted the franchise book, still thinking, you know, I'll, I'll never write about franchising again. Uh, but once 
I started doing interviews about the book with radio and TV. Franchisors started calling me out of the blue. Uh, the International Franchise Association wanted to excerpt the book, uh, and they did in their magazine. And then that created more people. And I got invited to speak at IFA. Then IFA appointed me to their traveling faculty to speak to people across the country. That led to more jobs with franchisors for my freelance business. And um, it, in the early days, when the book, it took me six months to write the book. So I didn't know anything about franchising. I had never worked for a franchise company. I was never a franchisee or a franchisor at that time. Um, I was just a guy who knew how to research. I interviewed 100 people. Six months' time, I put the book together. Six months later, I'm out promoting it, being introduced as the world authority on franchising. And it would make me laugh because, you know, this is fake news. We didn't call it that then. But that definitely <laughs> I was no world authority. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't too many years later where I had traveled to half a dozen countries on behalf of the IFA to uh, promote franchise master licenses. And I was working with clients um, throughout the United States and other countries. And so, yeah, it was, I didn't have to blush when they said I was a world authority. So I uh, devoted my career essentially to working in franchising and went on to write a lot of other books about franchising, including taking, Take the Fear Out of Franchising, the one we've been talking about. And that's how it all came about. I never taught that seminar until this past December, December 2017. A local library in West Palm Beach asked me to come and teach a seminar about franchising. And I did. And then they asked me about other seminars. And I said, well, I got one that I'd really like to teach, uh, how to write a book to promote your business. And so I, I taught that one in December, finally, after all these years. Well, you owed it to the you owed it to the seminar. Yes, <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. isn't it? It's just coincidence. When I spoke to Michael Gerber, I mean, he had no intention of writing the E-Myth. He was actually presenting a seminar, as you may well know. I know you're close friends, and uh, yeah. it's the way we all work our way through lives. I think so. Getting down to the to, to the nitty gritty, I suppose. How do how do people know if they can accept? and handle the risk of starting a business? Because that's, that's a big step, and people go into it blindly, John, as, as we know. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, again, I think, and I, I preface this, I say this all the time to people because I know it's so important, and I know so few people do it, and that is you need to take the DISC profile or something like that because it's going to be a good indicator to your personality and how you historically handle uh, life how you behave. And uh, it can also be predictive in what you're going to do in a given situation where you're in charge of a business. And it matters whether or not that business has employees because how you'll behave with employees is different than how you behave when you work alone at your computer or out of your own van or whatever it might be. So you've got to do uh, that. And then um, Part of the due diligence in franchising, and in the United States, the government, people constantly complain about the government and government interference. But in 1979, franchisors had actually been lobbying in the United States for the government to get involved to control franchising because it was a nightmare. People were using franchising to sell what they called franchises, and, and they were scams. They, they did not... Uh, 
They didn't exist. They were just taking people's money. But honest franchisors like Bill Rosenberg at Dunkin' Donuts and others uh, who were part of the International Franchise Association, they lobbied the government to say, look, you got to help clean this up. And so in 79, the year I got involved, that's when the Federal Trade Commission promulgated the franchise rule in the United States. And franchisors suddenly had to start developing these disclosure documents, which they continue to do today. And the disclosure document is a magnificent uh, item that few countries in no country in the world has anything quite like our FDD, uh, and they probably should. Uh, but uh, many countries have something similar to it. But our FDD in the United States gives you practically everything you need to know to decide if uh, buying a particular franchise makes sense. And one of the things, and if it doesn't give you the answers, it leads you to those answers. And by that, I mean that in uh, item 20 of the document is the list of the existing franchisees with their names, phone numbers, and email addresses. So uh, once again, 99% of the people won't do this, but why don't you call 10 of those people? And why don't you ask one or two of them, hey, I could drive over to your place in an hour's time or four hours time or even fly, you know, because this is important. Could I come and hang out for a day or two and observe what you do and how you do it? And some franchisees will say, no, they won't allow that. But many franchisees will say, yeah, I welcome you to do that. And some franchisors will insist on that happening. Try to buy a McDonald's. You're not going to do it. Very hard to get a McDonald's in the United States. But you're, you won't, if, even if you have a chance to do it, you won't until you spend time with franchisees learning the business. So, you know, there isn't any reason why you should buy a franchise and not know if you're going to be able to handle the business because you've got people who will show you what the business requires. And either you can do it or you can't do it. So, you know, the people who cry baby and complain and they sold me a bad franchise, no, you probably just didn't do what you were supposed to do to understand if franchising would work for you. And it's, it's you know, not franchising's fault. So that's no, what... No, no, so, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, John. And certainly we sing from the same hymn sheet from that point of view. And uh, one of the reasons that motivated me to approach you um, was because in Australia, uh, there is a disclosure process, but it's not compulsory. And currently... There is, um, from time to time, we do get bad press. It's very easy for the press to, you know, to isolate uh, a particular area or a particular incident and make it appear as if it's general. So my passion uh, and goal is to is to get people before they take that step to actually yeah. really do some real some real due diligence. Uh, it's it's just a great tragedy to see so many people go in with eyes blind, thinking it's a guarantee. And uh, I, I could reflect for ages on my first impression when I bought my first franchise. I, I thought I'd be sitting at the back of this of this bedding shop reading a paperback all day. <laughs> Far from the <laughs> truth. So uh, <laughs> I never got around to that even today. <laughs> so uh, so. <laughs> In your book, it's very detailed, um, and, but, but yet very concise. So perhaps you could share with me some of the, the 17 steps that I saw that you outlined for successfully buying a franchise. Yeah. Well, you know, again, I'm going to say take the disc. It's free. Secondly, as soon as you can, get the franchise disclosure document. Now, I'm talking to Americans. So if you're not an American... 
uh, buying a franchise in the United States, you're, you're, if you're an Australian buying a franchise in the United States, they're not required to give you the FDD because you're not an American. So if you are an American citizen buying a franchise in the United States, franchisors are required to give you the FDD. Even if it's an Australian franchisor selling in the United States, that Australian franchisor must have a U.S. disclosure document. So if you're an American citizen, get the FDD. If you're not an American citizen, get the FDD, particularly if it's an American company. Because they have one, why wouldn't they give it to you? Just because you're an Australian? No, just ask for the FDD. Uh, they're going to be impressed that you even know that one exists. And if you're in Australia buying a franchise, if you're buying an American franchise, ask for the FDD. They have one. They should give it to you. But if, it, as you've already pointed out, if you're buying from an Australian franchisor, it's, it's not required to disclose. That's a mistake, and it's unfortunate, and you're taking more risk in that situation. But you can get around it. Ask them for their list of franchisees. Now, maybe they're only going to give you the list of their best franchisees. That's a problem. In the United States, the franchisor has to give you the list of all of their franchisees, and they cannot tell you, oh, this is a good one, call him. This is a bad one, don't call him. They're not allowed to do that. So if, if you get this disclosure, one way or another, get disclosure information. If you can ask them for earnings claim type information, which uh, comes in item 19 of our FDD and is not compulsory, in the United States, but franchisors more and more are offering that information because investors want to know. If I invest $150,000, when will I make it back? And after five years, how much money will I be making? So you've got to get that. Whatever country you're in, you've got to get that information. And then visit with franchisees. You know, there's a reason why uh, McDonald's requires it and other major brands require prospective franchisees to spend time with existing franchisees, and they want the existing franchisee to say yes or no to the prospect. Was this someone who you think would make a good franchisee? Did they ask any questions? Did they ask the right questions? How did they respond when they saw some of the situations that you face as a franchisee? So anybody can do these things in any country. Uh, it's just, you know, they might not be uh, bold enough, maybe, to ask for this information, thinking that it's not possible to get it. Well, it is possible to get it. It doesn't matter what country you're in. Franchisors know uh, what it takes to operate one of their businesses. And uh, they, they may, there are lots of reasons why franchisors hide information. Because maybe you're not, it's going to take you much longer to get the $150,000 back than you would like. And they don't want you to know that. Uh, or maybe there are fees that they're charging that they don't want you to know about until after you become a franchisee. Any number of things. We don't hear about that in the United States because they can't do that. Legally, they can't do that. So uh, if you're a prospective franchisee, no matter where you are, ask for this information. Otherwise, I would be afraid to invest in a franchise. Absolutely. Wise advice. So, um, Perhaps I could just go off track a little bit here, John. Um, I know that uh, you've had that such broad experience. Could you just give us a little bit of background on your experience as a franchisor? Yeah, so I, uh, I never expected to become a franchisor. I never expected to become a franchisee. You know, I, I, it was all a surprise. 
but I was on the board of Homevestors of America, which at the time uh, was the only real estate investment franchise company. And we were the only one. Everybody wanted to be in, in the 1980s and, and 90s. Everybody in America wanted to be in real estate investment. They still, wanted, they still want that today. They, you know, people think that that's the answer or the only answer to riches and to financial independence is through real estate. And of course, it's not, but it's, they've done a good job of selling that, particularly the people who write books and recordings and <laughs> seminars that they want you to attend. Um, it goes on all over the world. So um, this was a legitimate franchise company created by a guy who really figured it out, a guy in Dallas, Texas named Ken D'Angelo, magnificent man in so many ways, kind. And uh, he, he would give, rather than giving 100% to a franchisee, he gave 130% to franchisees, and they loved him. And uh, he, you know, he had a system. His catchphrase for marketing was, we buy ugly houses. And in the beginning, people said, well, you can't say you buy ugly houses. That's insulting people. But when I uh, uh, left the company in 2009, we were getting 250,000 phone calls per year from people who would say, I've got an ugly house. I wonder if you'd be willing to buy it. So uh, I was on his board. Uh, first, I met him because he needed some services. He needed me to uh, do some writing. He needed a new operations manual. He needed to, to have a franchise advisory council developed and needed somebody to work with his franchisees to um, help them understand how to operate on a, on a uh, franchise advisory council. He needed uh, just a numerous uh, consulting uh, opportunities for me. And, of course, he didn't have the money. No franchisor in a startup, you know, they, they don't have a few hundred thousand dollars around that they can spend. So I said to him, look, I'll, I'll take some cash, but then I want one of your franchises. And I've never said that ever to a franchisor client, uh, usually because, you know, I didn't see myself. It might have been a good business, uh, a pizza business, for example, that I was working with, but I didn't see myself in that business. It wasn't a good fit for me. And, uh, and even in this case, I did not see myself running a, a We Buy Ugly Houses franchise, but I saw myself getting a partner who could do that and who I could work with. And so I traded part of my fee for a franchise, and it was one of the best, best decisions and best opportunities I ever had. So I had that franchise for a couple of years and found a partner. Uh, again, this was through, through Ken D'Angelo. He actually helped me find a partner. And uh, my partner was trained and my partner ran the business. And uh, I was doing the consulting work for Homevestors and other franchisors. And I was on the board at that time of the Dwyer Group in Waco, Texas, which has turned out to be a huge franchisor uh, conglomerate. And uh, so Homevestors asked me to join their board. And I did. And uh, unfortunately, within a just a couple of years of that, uh, Ken D'Angelo got ill, terminally ill, died, and on his deathbed said to me, you have to succeed me as the CEO of the company. And I said, hey, Ken, uh, I love you. I'd do anything for you. I can't do that. I'm not a franchisor. Never been a franchisor. I don't, I don't even know anything about real estate. 
I don't buy and sell real estate. Uh, so no, 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 I can't do it. And he said, look, you're the only one I trust. Uh, my family uh, depends, will depend on you. <laughs> That's odd because his family ended up suing me after I got the business sold, but that's a whole nother story that needs to go into my book someday. Uh, I took over as franchisor, CEO, and uh, president of the company and chairman of the board. And I ran the company for about five or so years, but there was a great recession that started in 2007. And um, people who had a lot of real estate that they were trying to sell could no longer unload the real estate. They ended up not being able to pay their lenders. We were often that lender. We loaned money to franchisees to buy houses and rehab houses and, and put them on the market. We made a lot of money doing that. But once the recession hit and people could not get loans from the bank to buy houses, um, we had a lot of inventory. And ultimately, we were near bankruptcy, but we managed to, um, to bring a buyer into the company in 2008, in June of 2008. And um, I left the company in January of 2009. Uh, we had about 265 franchisees at the time. We were charging about $50,000 for a franchise fee. It was a magnificent system, and it still is today. It survived the recession, and um, it's uh, owned by since been sold to someone else. I, I don't know who owns the company today. Uh, they don't have the billboards like we used to have all over America that said, uh, we buy ugly houses. Um, they <laughs> have a cheaper franchise than, you know, where they don't charge $50,000 as, uh, as often. Actually, I don't know. I mean, I, I know the company exists. I know it's uh, profitable. Um, so that was my franchisor side of the business. But I was very fortunate in that you know, I generally, after about 1985, I had anywhere from 15 to 25 clients who were franchisors, and some of them, like Don Dwyer of the Dwyer Group uh, and uh, David Sandler of uh, Sandler Training, these were just fabulous people who took me under wing and taught me so much about franchising uh, that I was very, very fortunate. Right, and that, that's the, we're, we're fortunate being able to tap into that knowledge you've accumulated uh, through those amazing experiences, John. So, and in saying that, uh, you've got a you've got an excellent overview and understanding of franchising and business generally. And whilst the economies in the U.S. and Australia are different, very very similar in many many ways, the trends, the demographics, and so forth. So, what do you see um, at the moment as being you know good franchise investments looking over the over the next five to ten years? Yes, I think uh, that these, these segments of uh, the market, like daycare, for, you know, it's, it's extremely expensive to, to find good care for your child. And daycare franchises are very popular and very profitable. But so are senior care at the other end. It's very expensive and very difficult to find someone to take care of grandpa or to take care of your father or your mother. And, you know, you feel guilty if you're going off to work and you know your mother's going to need help getting out of bed, taking her pills and getting something to eat. You know, how, how's that? How, how are you going to manage? And so senior care is a huge booming industry in franchising 
in, uh, in America and other countries too. Uh, sports and fitness, that's always been a big category. It will continue to be. Education, tutoring franchises. You know, people want the best for their kids. So get a good education or tutoring type business. And then business to business. That's probably the biggest category and, and maybe, maybe the best of all these is business to business. Find something that you sell or something that you provide a service that other businesses need. Uh, because uh, even in a recession, they're going to continue to need your service or need your, your product, most likely. I mean, you can make sure that that's the case. So those would be the areas that I would say. Those uh, um, four or five areas, what I would say, are, are good opportunities. Yep, no, I, I think that's, a, that's, a, that's an excellent observation. So I suppose when we, we, we move forward there to saying, you know, what, what sort of help do people need when they – when it comes to running a profitable franchise, what would you what would you recommend to someone who's going down that route as a as a franchise as a franchise or indeed as much as a franchisee? Well, and what was the first part of the question? The, the franchise or should... um, yeah, um, what what do you think people need uh, the most help with when it comes to moving into franchising, whether it's franchisees or franchisors? Really, okay. the, the no. key aspects, yeah. Well, I think they have to get a good understanding, a good education of what franchising is. You know, if you think you're going to put up $150,000 and you're going to get this business and you're going to sit in the back of the shop and read paperbacks, it's not going to happen. That's a fantasy. It's not going to happen. And people do that quite a bit. They think, okay, it's turnkey. We use that phrase a lot in America. It's turnkey, which gives you the picture that all you got to do is put the key in the door, unlock it. Okay, maybe you got to turn on the light, and uh, voila, you've got a business. You're making money. No, it's that's not franchising. That's fantasy again. So you've got to understand what it is, what it does, why it works, who it works for, and what you've got to do to make it work. And franchisors don't do a good job of educating franchisees. Many of them don't want to because you know the the goal is get the money. Don't worry about educating them. Get the money. A good franchisors don't do it that way. But not every franchise. There are 3,800 franchise opportunities in North America, and they're not all good opportunities. But nobody's going to tell you, generally, you know, not in a public format, okay, these are bad franchises. But it's not too difficult to find that out if you do some due diligence. So you got to understand why it works, how it works. Is it going to work for you? And then you do this through due diligence. And people don't want to do the due diligence because it's work. So they say, well, how about if I pay you to do it? And my answer is no. It's not my $150,000 that's being invested. No, I can go out and do the due diligence through my lens and my focus. It's going to be different than what lens you should have or what focus you should have. I don't know you. I'm not your personality. You need to do the due diligence. I can coach you to do that. I can take you step by step and tell you how to do it, but I'm not going to go ask the questions for you. I'm not going to go sit in the franchisee's location and observe for a day. It's not the kind of work that, you know, somebody else should do for you. You need to do this on your own. And unfortunately, people are lazy. They just don't do it, and they're greedy. They think that, you know, I, I can take advantage of this. It's turnkey. Well, it's not. And I don't have... Um, 
I don't have much patience for or sympathy for people who think that way. When all you got to do is go to Amazon and, uh, well, I like to say, just type in the search bar, John Hayes franchise, and you're going to find, oh, about uh, two dozen books. And pick one of those and read it. You can read it in probably three hours and um, you'll learn a whole lot. John, what's, what's your view about, I mean, the core of franchising, as I see it, is systems. What's your view about systems and their relevance when it comes to franchising as a franchisee and as a franchisor? Yeah, if a, if a franchisor doesn't have a system, then they don't have a franchise opportunity. And if you don't buy a system, then you don't have a franchise opportunity. And the best deal on systems, you've already mentioned him a couple times, is read the e-myth by Michael Gerber, and that you can read in three or four hours. And it's the best book written that explains it's not about franchising, but it uses the franchise model throughout that book. It's not about McDonald's, but he uses it. And he tells people why you have to have systems, that people are not dependable. People drive you nuts. But if you've got a system that you know works, then the system won't let you down. The people have to to meet the demands and the requirements of the system. But many franchisors don't have systems or they have a system or they call it a system, but they don't have a good marketing system. They might have a good operation system. They might have a good system for producing a product, but they don't know how to market it or sell it. And there's no system for helping franchisees do that, particularly franchisees who are not good at sales. So if you don't have a system, you don't have a business, period. Just stay away from it. Yep, that's from a franchisor point of view. That's where that disc profile becomes so critical, doesn't it? You've got to match people with their skill sets yes. and their basic characters and so Absolutely. forth. Yeah, yeah. So, so just in closing, a, a, a question with tongue-in-cheek, John. Um, what do you wish someone told you, you know, 30 or 40 years ago before you entered the world of franchising? Do you wish you'd been steered away from it? <laughs> Nothing, no. Thank God that John Kinch uh, was persistent when he told me that he wanted me to write a book about Trimark, his cooperative direct mail advertising business, which I found uh, boring as a title, but that's not a boring business at all. In America, the couponing business is huge. And the, today the franchises are called uh, Valpac, and Money Mailer. These are huge uh, cooperative direct mail advertising businesses that have done extremely well in franchising. And uh, Kinch is now dead, but I'm grateful that he um, got me to listen and got me to think about it and told me what it was all about because that has opened so many doors throughout my career. Today, you know, I've got the plum position in the world. To get a, an endowed chair in academia is almost impossible. And to get one in franchising, well, there are only a couple that exist, and I have one. So uh, thank God to, for Kinch, and thank God for franchising, and uh, I, I love it. I, I ended up in you know the senior years of my career that I'm doing something, that I'm opening doors, I'm paying it forward, I'm creating uh, opportunities for young people at Palm Beach Atlantic University where I teach a concentration in franchising, only place in the world where you can get this kind of an education. So I'm thrilled.
Oh, so, so am I, John, and I, and I think our listeners are delighted you shared that with us. And I know there's the seeds have been sown for more interviews and certainly for more books. <laughs> um, so what I'd like to do in closing is say it, it's really been, been, been lovely talking with you. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, um, having you here, John, and I'm sure everyone will join me on that. I'm really indebted to you for giving us so much of your time. Um, been a privilege. And uh, lovely to get to know you, a bit of the background. It's always lovely to hear those stories and those anecdotes. So uh, I might just pass on, well, just ask you, John, is there anything else you'd like to say in closing before I wrap up? Well, Brian, I think we've covered the territory. I hope I haven't worn people out, and I hope I've helped them <laughs> some way. And, uh, I, you know, the best way to communicate with me is uh, howtobuyafranchise.com for people who are looking for opportunities or franchisors who want to know how to become a good franchisor. They can contact me through howtobuyafranchise.com. They can take the disc profile for free. They can get downloads of many products. Some of my books are free. Uh, I have lots of video interviews that I've done with uh, franchisors across the country and some, some from outside of the United States. And of course, I'm also at the Titus Center for Franchising in Palm Beach, uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, at Palm Beach Atlantic University. And it's easy to go online and check me out there. Search for Titus Center for Franchising and uh, come and see me at uh, PBA. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for all that. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'd like to say in closing that uh, it's been a great conversation. I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, And... uh, This is Brian Keane from Franchise Simply signing off and looking forward to being with you when we interview our next Franchise Radio Show guest.